welcome to the Iraq of Fella show. Actually, you know what? It's the Iraq of Fella show with special guest Noah Forty Shabib. Noah, what up? What up? What's going on, my brother? How are you? I'm good, man. It's good to see you, man. I haven't seen you in a couple of years. I saw you. I, I don't feel like I haven't seen anyone in a couple of years. <laughs> haven't we all not seen anyone in a couple of years? I mean, I also made an album, so that's like double whammy for like not seeing people and just, you know, spending a lot of time in this room. So, yeah, I definitely want to get into the process of um, of CLB and, and, and what it was. But mm. um, I wanted to ask you, you know, the last time I saw you, I think we were backstage in Toronto at the Scorpion show and you were working on that, that box that you had created, yep. uh, which I want to get into as well, which was amazing. But before we do that, I wanted to know how, how has the last two years been for you uh, during this pandemic? Like, what have you been doing? I mean, you know, it's funny. Like I'm not, I'm not the, the guy like goes out to dinner a lot or, you know, I'm, I, I keep to myself. I I like to spend a lot of time in the studio and like working on my craft and working on equipment and electronics and music. And there's like so many things I want to do. So it didn't really like in the beginning, you know, it was so shocking to people. Right. But for me, it was kind of like, uh, obviously, I'm blessed and privileged in that regard as well because of my situation. But like more so than that, like I'm very solitaire in the first place. Right. Like it's it's and, and that happens to you know with being on the journey with drake also where it's kind of like you know you don't always want to like go out in public every second of the day so it's like you know it was, it was an easy adjustment for me i guess and and i've just been hiding out here working and you know as things start to to get better and open up i'm i'm looking forward to it but i spent a lot of time up north like on property doing like farm shit excuse my language staying out of trouble your like in the, in, in the city, don't worry about um, it um you know the pandemic did two things for people especially artists like you're a public figure but you're not in public which is amazing to be a producer there's no age limit and there's no you know there's no necessary reason for you to be out in front of the camera yeah it's but nice what, what it did was it it created two different either like it made you go to therapy and deal with your demons or it made you get rid of old habits and like function a bit better what, mm, yes i agree completely yeah, what, what did it do for you in that regards? Like, what, what did you change in your lifestyle? What, what did it make you realize? <sighs> Gosh, I mean, you know, it really like reaffirmed a lot of my politics and who I am, to be honest, right? You know, for a lot of people got hit with like a culture shock where it's like, oh, the government doesn't care about us. What is this? Nothing makes any sense. And I'm sort of sitting here like, wait, oh. You just like, you just got to that place now, <laughs> like, huh? So for me, it was sort of, you know, where it was like an eye opener for a lot of people. My experience was just like reaffirming what I believe in. And I'm a very like science and math oriented individual, you know, like what I do in this room is science and math all day long, right? Electrical engineering all day long, like, you know, down to changing capacitors, right? So it's like, it's, it's a, it, it was okay for me. I could fathom it all, fathom it all. And uh, unfortunately, you know, my health isn't as, as great as I'd like it to be. I'm on pretty heavy immunosuppressant medication. So, you know, in the beginning, we didn't know much. It was like really scary. And, you know, as, as it progressed, things got better. And like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's as I made an album. Like, yeah. when I make an album, I'm gone, you know? So, like, it doesn't really matter what's happening out and outside of, like, that process, right? Like, I'm, that's how focused I am. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I just came out of that a couple months ago. And I'm, like, actually, like, still recovering from... From the whole experience, right? So it was like a month ago. It wasn't even. A, it wasn't even a couple of months. Yeah, ago. yeah. I wouldn't even know. I mean, like you know, I still, I still like learning how to like <laughs> think again. When you like, when you know, when you when you work really hard on like creative things like that, and it's like extraction, right? Like letting go of something at the very end of a process is really difficult, and you know, it's not, not a lot of sleep, a lot of changes, a lot of stress, and yeah. and I, I love to do it. It's one of those things where it's like. You know, you do something that's really, really difficult, and in the moment you're kind of like, ah, why did I do this? Like, what's wrong? And then later you're like, ah, man, that was that was that was great. That was sick. You know, I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're tweaking snares till till the midnight oil is done burning. I'm, I know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Forever. Um, so when when Certified Lover Boy was first announced, you know, it was it was a while ago. I think I don't remember if it was like pre-pandemic or during the pandemic, but it, it was a long pre-rollout. Mm -hmm to the album and obviously you know albums get delayed and production gets delayed but 
you know, Drake has become synonymous with like a, a specific season in the year. I would say like mid to end of summer into the winter, like the rollout is always that. And sometimes you guys even drop in the middle of the winter just to give some 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 light in the darkness. Right. But mm-hmm. how did the process with CLB uh, differ from other albums? Did, did it feel different at this time? I think, you know, that that really is just. I mean, the pandemic obviously had a lot to do with it, right? Like we were really gearing up to sort of get ready to close it out. It's sort of like it's like a it's like a a marathon, you know, making an album. <clears throat> Excuse me, and you got to sort of save that gas for the last hundred meters, right? And so it was just like a matter of like, hey, when are we going to sprint the hundred meters? And you know, I think there was a while there where he was probably prepared to do it, and then the pandemic hit, and it was sort of like, okay, let's just you know see how things unfold and it was sort of a an interesting time to be you know dropping music so quickly like that so ultimately though it's dictated by the music there's no plan not from my perspective anyway and i can't speak on all of that right like i'm only part of that machine but like from my perspective it's it's just it's just the music like when the music's ready and he's comfortable to pull the trigger he pulls the trigger and so whenever that is that is i mean i don't know probably like the summer or the beginning of the summer would be like the best option but you know it's difficult to like to, to land <laughs> there, there when, no you, when you want to you know so i mean you know um, yeah I, I i don't i don't put that much thought into that type of stuff I, I like everything in this business or in music business i feel it's driven by the music itself yeah yeah for sure um you're credited as like you know, the architect of many of the projects that come out under OVO. I know your ear is on everything and you mm-hmm. hear everything and you mix a majority of the projects and like, you know, you you have your hand in a lot of the a lot of the different uh, projects that come out on the label. Um, and if you were to look at some of the artists on the label, you're almost like the, the composer to the film of those artists life, specifically Drake, I would say you're like the composer to that film, you know, um, mm-hmm. you guys have this work ethic that's that's uh, very symbiotic. Like we, we've, we've seen pictures from the beginning, from, from the mixtape when it dropped, you know, you, you guys in the, in the, in the hotel in Hollywood until this day, when we see you in the studio, it always feels like, uh, you know, uh, De Niro and Pacino back together. Right. So <laughs> as you guys progressed, um, and saw less and less of each other. Cause you know, Drake was touring around the world. Th- things were growing exponentially really quickly. Um, does the process feel as natural when you get into the studio right away or does it take a little bit of time to to get back into gear you know good question good question um yeah no 100 percent it does like it takes no time to get back into gear mm. you know i mean i still do all the things that i've sort of always done with and for drake from the very beginning the only difference is i just do it from a distance now mm. That's it. And because of the way technology is, excuse me, because of the way technology is, I can, it's, it's a phone call, right? Like I know when, when Noel, who's Drake's engineer now, opposed to me being the one who's there in the room with him at all times, which is really what the change we're talking about is, right? Mm-hmm. At one point, when I let go of being his engineer always, that, and then Noel took that position, that's when I was able to remain here and not have to follow him around the world at all times, right? So was it, it hard to let go? A hundred percent. It was the hardest thing ever to let go. And but but that enabled me to do more things here because at the end of the day, recording and, and Noel's blossomed his production career incredibly from that seat. But recording is like a tireless, endless job, right? It's very difficult to spend your time efficiently when you're carrying that position. So when I step back to be able to, you know, help run the label and do other things and so on and so forth, that's sort of when that change happened. But everything everything is the same. So it's like, yo, they're recording and it's like, yo, hey, yo, sending this right now. Cool. Yep. Send it right back. Yep. Done. Now I send the references to Drake. You like this? You want to change this? We're just talking about it. So it's, you know, not much has changed. You know, I built a big studio at his house and he works there and he comes here still. He loves coming here to the studio here. It's like, it's, it's, it's pretty good. And I don't think that'll ever change because we sort of grew up together in the business and learned how to do this together. And Everything I do is defined by working with and for him. You know, I don't really have anybody else that I work with on that level. So, or really at all. So, I mean, that's, it's, I don't know, I don't really do anything else. So when I get back to that place, it's the same thing I've been doing the whole time. You know what I mean? It's not like I've gone to do something, you know? 
Yeah, and I think for him, it's like, you know, I I understand what he needs in the studio, and and he knows I understand that. So when we're actually in the same room, it's just it's just better than being apart, you know. But like it never stopped, you know what I'm saying? So like now we're just when we're in the same room, it's like oh okay, perfect, we can move quicker. Well, you got you guys have been on a tear for for a long time. Like like OVO has been you know consistent for a minute, and you were just saying that it allowed you you know taking away time from being an engineer allowed you to uh, focus on the label more and. W- what what other roles do you enjoy doing besides being you know technical and obviously creative with the with the music? Uh, what other roles do you enjoy being uh, doing on the label? Well, OVO. I usually stay out of the way of like not all marketing, but you know photo shoots and you know i'll weigh in on videos i'll weigh in on photo shoots all the time i have my opinions about album covers uh but like that's not really where i i like to lean in i like to obviously i'm involved in the the technical side of things and the studios and the touring and i'm i'm involved in the production and the creation and then uh, with a lot of the artists and I'll, I'll lean help there and mixing and so on. And then it's, uh, it's business. Like I love the bigger picture business stuff and, and understanding it because like, I, what do you, you mean know, by not, business? Like, uh, like, like the numbers and the analytics or, or yeah, it's like running the company, right? Like running a successful company, doing good business, doing good deals that people look back and are like, yeah, like, I'm glad we did that. Like, I don't feel taken advantage of. Like, I'm okay with how this worked out, you know? And just feeling that way about the things you're doing with your partners and other people that you're involved with. Like, that's that's the best. And it's not always easy. I mean, like, that's the goal, right? That's what I'm striving to in that space. But I want to make sure of that as well as the music, that that's also happening. That's really important to me. And I'm not, like, the biggest fan of capitalism in the, uh, capitalism in the world, you know? Like, I, I'm much more like to share and have everybody involved in things. And so just the fundamental way the music business is run, I have a major problem with. Like major, major problem. So like I'm existing within the confines of that, you know? And so I wanna fight all the way one direction, but it's, you have to move sort of slowly, uh, unfortunately, but I'm moving, you know? Uh, but anyway, the point is like, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough business, right? Like the whole concept of it is owning other people's intellectual property in exchange for essentially giving them money and resources. Right. So it's sort of like, ah, okay, I get it. I mean, we have to all be involved and they have to make money for giving us money too, but it's, I don't know. I just don't like, how do you, how do you see that? How do you see that changing? You know, because even when it came to like questions of capitalism and how racism is tied to it and, and how okay, blockchain and to user, right. When, 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 when it starts working that way, when that really becomes a reality, that'll change things. And that'll, that'll, you know, box the big majors out of, out of it. You know, mm-hmm. it won't be like, you know, cabillionaires that are controlling that side of the business. Right. You, and you, at the end of the day, the business is still organic. Yeah. It is a myth that it's like controlled by Illuminati or something, right? That's not actually true, right? It's are you, organic. Are you sure about Just, that? Okay. Yes. Yeah, I am, but it's unchecked capitalism, right? Yeah, so it yeah. will do what it does in the name of the dollar. So I mean, people. at that rate, is it poisonous? Like, yeah, probably, right? But it's not necessarily like malicious, right? It just is what it is, and it is art, and art there's another conversation there about free speech and art and this and and you know it's it's a it's a it's a big conversation about what the industry is and i'm sensitive to that but i would just love to see it going to like going to the people on the ground doing the work more so you know there is these streaming companies are getting incredibly powerful the labels are incredibly powerful and the writers the people who actually create the content are not as powerful so you know things have gotten better in the business because of streaming and like you know income streams growing and you know new revenue streams and so on but you know without me like talking too too much about that like (laughs) you know that's how i feel about the business so (laughs) um 
outside of music, you know, you, you've been at. Oh, no. What I was really saying is that because I'm in this business and subject to it, I try my best to navigate it well for the people that I bring onto this journey because it does change lives and it does make people fortunes and it does bring people happiness. And so I don't want to neglect people from that opportunity because I'm pessimistic about, about the nature of the business. I mean, it is what it is. And uh, I just happen to also be a musician. So that's the tough part about being like an artist and an executive at the same time but mm. i am somehow both so uh, how do you how do you you know you got the way you've discovered artists let's say we had magic jordan on last week and um the way you discovered them was through soundcloud and the link being passed at the time right so like how do you keep your ear to uh the ground and like hear artists that are coming up is it something that comes to you or it's are you tough it's tough it's tough and that's changing you know um as as the industry opens up more and more there's more and more and more music there's more content there's more people making music right you don't need a studio you don't need this you don't need you can do it with your iphone now you don't even need a microphone really right so since that's changed it's more difficult to like seed through what's in front of you to see if there's anything on the table there like you know from from the street or from excuse me from demos or whatever the case may be mm. Uh, so that I think is, is become a little more difficult, but you know, in the beginning with Maja Jordan, you know, they were passed to me from a friend and it was really incredible. And I love this mixtape they had and they did it all by themselves. And I couldn't believe they did it in their dorm room. And I was like, Oh, this is incredible. You guys do it again. They kept making more music and they were incredible ideas. And I just recognized that they had an incredible amount of talent, but really the best stuff will rise to the top. Yeah. You know, if the songs are really that good, it'll find its way. Yeah. And 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 maybe if I get to it, it'll be there faster. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Sure. Uh, right? Like like even say someone like like Abel, um, my friend, uh, my friend Poiser brought it to me, but via my friend Jimmy. Because they were all in my neighborhood, and I think Abel was living in the neighborhood at the time, like right beside Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, yo, there's this kid who's living next door. He's like, he's, he's crazy, and he's giving it to Poiser. Poiser's giving it to me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I never really, it never made it all the way. And those things are difficult, right? Like I always, not to sidetrack, me and Drake always remember when Jazz played that stuff for Wayne, we knew you have to get that guy's real attention and like sit down, listen to this. Like it's not easy, you know? So anyway, he didn't get to me there. He got to Oliver later. The point is like, if it's good, it's gonna get there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It doesn't matter who. Definitely. definitely. What mattered was able, yeah. not whoever found it, yeah. us, him, who cares? Yeah. If the music's good, it goes. So really like, you know, I, I like finding things as early as possible, but like for me, I just I, I'm just happy that good music gets to where it's supposed to go. Uh, and I, I feel like in today's day and age, with streaming and the ability to put things online and TikTok and all this net, different mediums, like yeah, the game stuff to go. It's changed. Um, yeah. outside, outside of music, uh, Noah, I know you you're a big adv advocate for MS awareness. Yes, you've been public about living with your condition. Yes, you know. And, and I want to take this time here, this platform to, to, to talk about what the misconceptions around MS are and what you hope to achieve, like in your lifetime, in the sense of awareness for people, you know, uh, I know it's a big part of your life. So, yeah, I mean, like, look, I, what I'll say is I think MS is a, is a tough one. Not a lot of people know about it. So I like to, it, I, a lot of people know about it. It's a pretty major disease out in the world but what I, I guess I mean they don't understand it they've heard of it maybe uh i like to be uh an inspiration i don't want to use that word but like um someone that people with the disease can look at and be like wow he's had this disease since he was 21 years old and these are where experiences and he's been open about them and like well i can do that too okay i can manage this like there's a way to do it you know and you know everybody's different and it's a very it's not a monolithic uh, disease by any by any means but I think you know we all have our ups and downs as people with my type of MS which is remitting relapsing which means things happen and they go away mm -hmm. the other type is that things happen and they don't go away mm -hmm. so that's obviously much much more difficult to live with and grave outcome uh, but for me because I have remitting relapsing it's 
um, it's much more manageable for, manageable for myself. Although, you know, the reality is that eventually it becomes, or hope we hope not, but eventually it, it goes to the other place, right? Which is called progressive. So, you know, I, I take great medication. There's new medication now that's actually changed my life. Um, it's, you know, there's lots of DMTs, disease modifying therapies. So it's, uh, different ways to treat people with MS that are really incredible these days. So, I've been on this drug now for almost two years and it's pretty much like brought me back to a place that I haven't been since I was probably 20. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than blessed right now in my journey um, with multiple sclerosis. And it's funny, like when I first got diagnosed, I spent my 22nd birthday in the hospital and uh, I'll never forget the doctor. I looked at him and was like, yo, how long do I have to take this meds? Cause I, I used to take an injection three times a week. It was horrible. It was horrible. People are always joking about the vaccine and side effects. I'm like, yo, dude, are you crazy? Yeah, like, yeah, I had to take a needle three times a week, but no, but it made me violently ill for 24 hours. It gave me immuno response, right? For 24 hours, I would be bedridden, like couldn't get out of bed. So I went from having a seven day week to a, a four day week. Cause I lost three days. So like, that's how violent that medication was. And I had to inject it myself. And so people are crying about a vaccine. I'm like, yo, dude, are you crazy? I should do that three times a week. Cause hey, relax, you'll be fine. But you know, when you start to understand what immuno responses are to, uh, to medications. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I listen. Yeah, I so I, 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 I took that medicine then. Why was I telling you about that medicine? God damn it. Anyway, whatever. It's been a crazy journey. Oh, uh, getting diagnosed. The doctor told me, I said to him, how long do I have to take this medication? And he looked at me and said, ah, until they invent something better. And, and that was the truest thing ever someone ever said to me about my journey with that disease, which is that, you know, over the past however many years has been 17 almost, holy smokes, um, it, things have gotten better for me, luckily, because of treatment and medication and so on and so forth. And, uh, and I diet and taking care of myself and cutting bad things out of my life and making changes like not being a superstar beside Drake traveling around the world, but taking care of myself and sleeping at an appropriate hour. Hence why I'm no longer the engineer, everybody. No, I swear. <laughs> yes, that was a difficult decision because all the way it wasn't mine. But, but, but it helped, you know? No, it did. And that's why I'm doing really well. And so that's my journey. And yes, I, I guess what your question was is my goal is to teach people about it, sure, to bring awareness to it, but more so just to be like, you know, to, to be visible for the people who are on this journey. And, and, you know, people hit me up all the time, like, oh, I just got diagnosed and da, 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 da. And it's like, you know, I respond to as many people as I can and I try to be give guidance to as many people as I can. And, you know, that's that's sort of why I'm visible in that space, honestly, for that specific reason. You know, I, it's it's you talked about the vaccines when you were younger. When I was a kid, I had a horrible asthma, like it, it hospitalized me, uh, you know, mm. very often. And uh, my parents had to give me a course of medication of um, like I, I was taking shots every two weeks to to like strengthen my allergic asthma to things that were around me that were like dust. Mm -hmm. I was allergic to things yep. that were around us that you can't see, you know? So, uh, when, when everything hit two years ago, I, I sucked out of society. I stayed home. I, I became super paranoid. It, it heightened my paranoia and isolation. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think like a lot of the trauma that I had from my childhood, from the incidents of asthma came back to me that I hadn't dealt with. You know, I started thinking about the possibility of, being hospitalized for not being able to breathe. Right. Um, and as artists, we channel much of that trauma into what we do. And, and you've, with your career, you've done, uh, you've done what some people would say is almost the impossible. Like you've worked with everybody in the world, all the goats, like you've done that. You're, you're a legend in your own right. So do you think that like having the, the, the having MS changed the way that you work? and approach your work? Like, do you work harder now? Like take advantage of the time on the ground when you're working? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I actually probably got my nickname before I got like a matter of weeks before I got diagnosed, <laughs> which is 40 days and 40 nights because I wouldn't sleep and I would just work forever. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it, I guess the analogy I'll give you is I walk really fast. Yeah. And people are always like, why do you walk so fast? And my answer is always because I can right now. And sometimes I can't. <laughs> so when I can walk really fast, like I'm walking fast. And so when I got out of the hospital when I was 20, 
two, um, I couldn't walk. So I, I was in a wheelchair for a bit. Then I was heavy on a cane, like, like, like stepping three inches at a time, right? Like in front of each foot. So it's like, like, honestly, like, you know, 90 year old grandparents are like flying past me in the malls. You know what I mean? And like in the park, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting beat by like, you know, grandpa and grandma. Right. It was like so funny. Uh, but like I, uh, I was really slow. So as I, uh, as I got stronger and, uh, sort of, you know, dealt with that episode, um, I walk really quickly and sometimes that episode reoccurs. So I often was walking with a cane for m months of the year. And then it probably, I got down to walking with a cane for six weeks to two months of the year. Uh, and then I went on my new medication and I haven't touched it since. So, you know, it's crazy because I walk really fast too. Everybody tells me I walk too fast. So that's another, but thing. that probably is an analogy for how it affected my career. You know, I started working really hard because you just sort of, you know, MS is a disease where it's of your nervous system. So, I mean, it, that's everything. <laughs> that's your entire brain, right? The communications of your brain and everything. So yeah. therefore it could be anything. Like, could my hand stop working? Like yeah. possibly, right? Like it, it could be something you can see that's clinical. It could be something you can't see, right? Where you don't know something stopped working. So, I mean, whatever the case is, it, it gives you a drive where, you know, you are concerned to make sure you get as much done as you can. Um, especially since it was at a time where, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty in my life financially for me and my family. So I think, uh, and that's probably what drove me the most was, you know, um, looking at realities, uh, at financial realities are what made me work so, so, so incredibly hard. Um, and then getting MS, yeah, made it like, I guess, hypersensitive both literally and figuratively uh <laughs> in the case of like i i had no choice i had to figure it out because i didn't have a safety net to fall back on and um things were looking good for me, were not looking good for me if i found myself in a position where i couldn't work so yeah last time i last time i saw you actually was for another interview that i did with you and, and your sister about uh the justice fund which we'll get into mm -hmm. We talked about the family. So if people want to hear that, it's online. You can find it. But also the last time I saw you, I was like, damn, I got a lot in common with this guy. But, you know, we both lost our hair. We both have beards. We're both very attached to our Arab identity. And then you passed me something, uh, which was the Afghan bull rider. And you were in the early stages of announcing uh, Bull Rider, the, the, the company that you're a part of, mm -hmm. cannabis company. And... Um, since you were, since we're here giving you your flowers, can you tell me how that plant has been a healing force for you and, and why you got involved in that? Yeah. So, I mean, no, I've been around uh, cannabis for a, a large part of my part of my life. I mean, for better or for worse. Um, and I came across a very specific strain that is just very different than everything else. Uh, I always tell people like, you know, it, there's like, you know, there's cannabis and then there's the Afghani bull rider, which is a really sort of unique, strain There's, it doesn't smell like anything else doesn't taste like, well, anything, I else. Could not move. like anything else i could not move after that i couldn't even but like, <laughs> you know it's it, it, it's 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 fairly strong but it's actually not right like as far as thc goes it's on the lower scale mm -hmm. and um for me it, it's like an energizer battery it's like i it it enlightens me to keep working keep going at all times um like my body enjoys it you know when i smoke other things you know smoking is terrible right like it's a it's a carcinogen and it's not you know something we want to do to ourselves um but at the same time for the most part when i smoke things it's like my body's telling me like hey not a good idea like uh that's probably not what you want to do um but when i smoke afghani bull rider it's just like you know it's very happy it's it's, it's great it's fantastic my body's it definitely enjoys it so i mean it's it's, it's like a a primal instinct that you know tells you like oh this is good this is good for you we like this you know and like i'll clean the whole house and i'll finish the whole album and i'll <laughs> i'll do anything you know it doesn't necessarily put me to sleep so it's sort of a really special thing and and therapeutic and and great medicine and you know they say that um marijuana slows the development of multiple sclerosis um and it's you know one of its number one uses is ms and has a lot of great effects for MS and you know because of the 
sort of plethora of side effects uh not so much with my new medication but with my old medication as i was saying um you know cannabis was replacing like 10 drugs they tried to give me right they were like oh you're gonna need this other 10 supplementary pills to handle the injection you give yourself every day right so it was like yeah yeah no no, no. i can i can use cannabis that for all of that so it's been an incredible medicine through my journey yeah. of uh, dealing with MS and dealing with the medications they give you for MS. And so finding Bull Rider was like, oh my God, a weed that my body likes, like at all times, you know? And it's like, it's really airy. You know, a lot of, of trees tense. like really tense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you break it open, it's like dense and like sticky and it's like little balls and you're trying to, br Bull Rider is like big and fluffy. It's like, it's yeah. like, crushes into like magic you know um and so ontario in ontario we were selling afghani bull rider with the, our bull rider company that we've started with the grower jeff tech who has been you know caring for and developing that strain for decades and unfortunately when we tried to scale it up it wasn't as high quality as what i am explaining to you yeah. uh it was the same strain it was the same thing and it was close um but in the end, after sort of producing our first run of it, I decided with the team that like, let's wait, let's wait on it, we'll get it right. And we're opening our new flagship store in Brampton, which is right outside of Toronto. And Magic it's got- happens in Brampton, bro. Yeah, a lot of stuff happens in Brampton. Brampton. Listen, anyway, there's, it's an on-site grow there. So there's a hash lab and oh. a grow up in the store. So it's like a farm to table model. And so those plants there are going to be grown by Jeff essentially, right? Like with his direct counsel and guidance and not instead of being grown in a large facility. Mm -hmm. So uh, what we're hoping is that that is going to turn around product. That is what I'm talking about, which is Jeff's actual real Afghani bull rider. And then that'll be like at a very limited um smaller level out of the brampton store um and if we can get to the point where we can successfully scale it up so be it but you know my goal isn't to sell marijuana like i'm great in life right like i told you i don't even really like capitalism in that regard but what i will say to you is one of the greatest things in my life was giving people that medicine you give people bull rider and they were like wow yeah thank you yeah. Thank you. And, and, and that feeling was like, I wanted to give that medicine to people. And part of the story is a lady named Michelle Rainey, who is Jeff's wife. And Michelle was a pretty big deal in the cannabis industry. She was like partnered with uh, Emery, Mark Emery and a lot of things. She's like covered high times multiple times. Um, she passed away, unfortunately. And one of her dying wishes was to like deliver Afghani bull rider to people who need it. And she was like, you know, Jeff really developed it and, and cared for that strain for her. It's an incredible story. The legacy of that strain goes back a long time and it's really special anyway. So that's, that's why I want to, I want to get it to people cause it's great. Uh, and you know, Hopefully I can like do some good things with that money, which is like another conversation about philanthropy, which is all backwards and messed up. And I don't really subscribe to, but I mean, again, <laughs> here we are, right? What are Listen, we man, shout out, shout out to cannabis. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's shout it out, shout it out. That's all I got to say about that. So listen, Noah, we're at the halfway point. At the halfway point of the show, I like to ask some round robin questions that I think, mm. you know, give a lot of insight into the individual that we have on the show. So first off, top five producers. Whew. And they, you know, top they don't have to producers. be permanent top five, but top five producers. DJ Premier. Always. DJ Quick. Wow. Um, Diamond D. Mm. Oh, I got too many though, man. Can I go more? You can go I more. Got so many. Top 10, top 10. That's three. Could you Buckshot. Buckshot, wow. No, Buckwild, sorry. I was just talking about, I had a long boot camp click conversation yesterday. <laughs> My bad, Buckwild. La fla, la fla. Um, Tim, I love Tim. He's real special. Timbo. Um, gosh, I, you know, I hate these questions because like, you know, I, I, I asked for more than five because I wanted to be able to like, Get as many on the list as you can, but you yeah, just but you don't to need to be all. democratic, bro. It's just yeah, us. I know, but it is, you don't do it. You don't do the answer justice. You know, these justice need like real, you know, real thought into them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. um, but okay. no, definitely Primo, Quick, Diamond D. But wow, those guys are special. Q-tips, Q-tips is really incredible. Um, Top five MCs without Drake. Rakim, Kane, 
Nas, Cool G Rap, mm. OC. Top five VSTs. <laughs> Instruments or, or effects plugins? Uh, let's say effects plugins. Like when you're mixing, when you're mixing something, what are the five things that you go to all the time? Unless you don't want to give away that secret. That's, you know what I mean? No, I like giving away secrets. Uh, almost all the FabFilter stuff. Mm. So FabFilter L2, FabFilter Q3, uh, which is EQ. Um, Vitamin by Waves. I love Either Waves. Like uh, Arvox, mm, Arvox, Arvox is just like a just a go to classic, super clutch. Nerd. Arvox and Q three are like pretty much all you need to do a lot of damage on a vocal. Um, um uh, Limitless, it's mm. a killer these days. That's that. That's that nerd talk for people that are tuned in. Um, favorite, favorite song you produced. You played some good ones today. I always forget. I always forget what I produced. That's so music. Listen, that that Man. Alicia Keys joint is crazy. Yeah, Alicia joint is really really incredible. Shot Day joint is crazy. The Shot Day joint, yeah. I always feel I always have mixed feelings about that. That's really tough doing a song with Sade, you know. Jay Z. I time. know. Well, that's why it became more difficult because there was an original version that I loved, right? Mm. And then I gave it to Hove, and Hove loved it. And then I gave it to Sade, and Sade was like, "Man, oh no, it's Sade!" So I was like, "Ah, shit." Okay, so I made the changes. I made the changes. Took Sade's comments. Went back to Sade. She's like, "I love it." I'm like, "Yes." Go back to Jay Z. He's like, ah, maybe I like the other one more. Change this. I'm like, ah, fuck. Okay, change this. Change that. You know. Anyway, it's like two months later. I'm like, oh, the record's dead, right? Then two more months go by. Then I'm like, wait, did I just let a shot a Jay Z record die in my arms? Like, what is going on? Like, I kept going. I kept going. I kept going. You know. Finally, I get a version. They're both like, oh, we both love it. And I'm like, oh, incredible. I don't know if I love it anymore. You know. <laughs> Shit. But you know, so we made it happen. Anyway, in hindsight, it, it it's great. I do like it. And and whenever like any of the guys play it when they're DJing or something and I'm around, I'm always like, oh it's cool, man. It's a special yeah, moment. Special moment. You did a joint with Shad Day. That doesn't matter if it was just kicks. Like you did a joint with Shad Day. That's I know, I know. But I'm uh, forever haunted by the Pharrell remix, man. It's just it's it's mm. the, the by your side remix is just like the greatest. Mm piece of music of all time shadow pharrell i should have put him on that list you know that's that 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 and chad probably was involved in that one i would bet that 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 uh that remix that shot a remix is just life-changing and it's just you know hangs over my head my last my last uh, question would be like my last gunshot question would be um what's the biggest mistake you may have made that made you learn or became a blessing in the game like something that that happened that you thought like fuck why did i do that and then it turned around and became like a a lesson that that kept stayed with you until today is that something you can think of because i'm sure you know from the outside looking in everybody thinks it's all like easy and shit is like but it's like you know there's eighty five thousand mixes of fire and desire out there so like something that taught you something really big in the game that we might learn from i don't know i've 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 learned so many lessons in both directions these days i don't even know you know it's like you learn something and then you unlearn it you know and then you learn it again um i'm trying to answer your question the right way though as far as like a, pass. a lesson a lesson that i learned from you know a mistake that i learned from essentially right or something i regretted but turned out being a, a really valuable lesson uh, it's tough because i've been really blessed in this business you know i've done a lot of things the right way and i've been really really lucky so i mean i haven't actually ran into a situation like that i i, I don't think i mean I guess here, here's what I'll tell you. Here's a good one. You know, when I I, I started a publishing company and um, I really didn't want to 
as I told you, I don't even really believe in the fundamentals of how the business operates. And my manager essentially made me do it. And he made me start the publishing company. And so then he like, you know, he went and signed um, this, this young man that was, you know, hanging around us. And I'd been hanging around since the days of working at youth programs that he was popping up at. And I was helping him with stuff and we were friendly. And then the next thing you know, my manager's like, you know, you, we're gonna, I'm gonna bring it to you, to your company. Anyway, the point is he like forced my hand on this company I really wanted nothing to do with. Uh, and I watched that young man who's now a, obviously, I mean, he's not that much younger than me. Uh, anyway, he went from, you know, riding a bike to walk his, his daughter home from school to like, you know, pushing big whips. So, and you know, it was sort of like my manager looked at me and like, look, like, yeah, you're, you're so worried about taking from somebody, you know, that. look what you did. <laughs> look what happened to his life, you know? And it was kind of like, oh shit, you're right. Right. Like maybe I, I'm so like, I, I don't want to, I want everybody to retain all of their ownership that I don't almost help anybody, you know, where it's like, instead I should not that I don't help anybody for free. I help people. I, that's what, that's essentially what I do. But when you really enter into that relationship and you make that commitment of business between somebody, you, you work a little bit harder, you know, there's a little bit more of a commitment, you know, Drake knew everybody knew and things started happening and, and he never looked back. And it, that was the real lesson I learned where I was like, you know, it speaks to my own politics, but it, it's also just, in this business, you you want to share those opportunities as much as you can. Yeah. So your politics, you know, your your sense of community is is present in your public voice. Uh, out of all the members of the OVO crew, you know, you you've you've been very vocal about being pro Palestinian. You've supported the indigenous community, uh, you know, from jump from when when I first found out about you, uh, and you always stood at the forefront of your social media present with these. Um, I wouldn't say causes, but these realities that we, we deal with, which are all interlinked, you know? Um, yes. At what age did you develop or what instance in your life did you develop the awareness of our settler identity on this land? And, and um, how, you know, what made you feel this way in, in general about humanity, you know? I mean, I'm not... A, a ton of things, I would say, you know, um, I learned a lot of lessons when I was young, as you know, we all do. Um, my best friend in the whole world from when I was five years old was Jamaican. And so it was, you know, me and my Jamaican best friend. And I grew up in his home as much as I grew up in mine. And that gave me a lot of perspective in grade two. And he was like, that teacher's racist. She hates me because I'm black. And I was like, oh, what? She can't hate you because you're black. She's a teacher. That's impossible. That doesn't make any sense. How could that be true? You know, like I, I learned those lessons and faced those realities as, you know, a, a Caucasian person very young, right? My father is an Arab and he had, it was very opinionated about things and, um, and politics and how it Im impacted him and his life and how it restricted him and his vision. And so that was relevant to me. And I understood that, right? I knew my, my name was different than everybody else's. And I understood that, although I didn't look different than anybody else. I was, you know, afforded that luxury in this white supremacist world, but I learned those lessons same way in different ways. My mother's very spiritual. And I asked a lot of questions when I was young in math. I asked questions in math in like grade one that I know now you're not supposed to ask because the math teachers can't answer them. <laughs> you start breaking down some shit at a, at a different level when you ask those questions. And I started, I started to ask those questions in life too. Like who owns this land? Owns what land? How deep? How high? What the air too? That doesn't even make any sense. How do you own something? How do you own this rock? How do you own this tree? What does that even mean? You know, and there was a book that was read to me in grade four by my teacher, Mr. Willette, actually, I remember his name. And I can't remember the name of the book. I always think about the book. And it was an indigenous book and telling indigenous stories and spirituality and Turtle Island and creator and all of these things. And I just fell in love with that as a young kid, uh, like the creator and, and the concept of Turtle Island. That made sense to me, you know, that I could understand. You know, my father was raised incredibly Catholic and 
He's Catholic Lebanese and Catholic Irish as well. And so he was raised so Catholic, he almost revolted against religion. And my mother similarly didn't really, she was more of a hippie than she was religious. She was spiritual than she, before she was religious. So when I understood or got introduced to those ideas at a very young age from an indigenous perspective, um, they were really intriguing to me. And just growing up in Canada and having the luxury of being able to go up north and experience the outdoors of Ontario, um, that, that was the language I understood. So it's really close to home for me. Mm. And I, you know, I grew up with indigenous friends and um, I just try myself, a lot of that to do with my sister and who she is and how she raised me as well. Um, I just try to educate myself and better myself every day about life and people and, and why people are harmed and how to make sure they aren't being harmed. And that's sort of across the board and you really have to look internally and reflect and that starts, you know, whether it's feminism um, and racism and all the way up, that you, you have to unpack everything. You know, you can't just pick and choose. And so as I do that, I, I look at the ground and the land I'm standing on it and recognize, you know, an apartheid state that I live in. So it's, it's as, as I'm critical of others around the world, right? So, I mean, welcome to the, you know, the journey of, of self-discovery, but I think we're all on it and I'm all on it. I'm always learning as a person about life and, and who we are. And I think also as, uh, um, I think that's, gosh, I had another point. Sorry. I'm just rambling. No, no, anyway, you're not rambling at all. No, I, I care think... about all this stuff a lot, I guess. And it's yeah. super important to me. And, and leading into I just like learned the... those lessons as a young kid. And I don't know why, but maybe those are the reasons. Yeah, leading into the, the last um, question before I open it up to the students. You know, this way of thinking, this belief that you have, or this, this realization that you had, has led you to uh, the 40 Foundation and, and the Justice Fund that you're working on currently. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's a bit, it's a big thing, but I'd love, I'd love for the, the people here to know, like, is this something you want to turn into your legacy outside of music? Is this something you want to, you know, the hip hop ethos of each one reach one? Um, is that something you want to do, uh, you know, simultaneously reach out into the community and help and give them these studio boxes that they can record in, but at the same time, mentor a, 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 a small group of people to pass down the gems that you have. Like what's your ultimate goal with that part of your, your, your legacy? Uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it's like more self-serving. Like I just, it's my favorite thing to do, you know, uh, teaching, explaining stuff, uh, putting things into a way where other people can understand them, you know, really complex concepts where you sort of have these aha moments of like, oh, wait, no, I get it. Oh yeah, cool. Again, that makes perfect sense. You know, like that's what I really enjoy. Um, and so working in community, uh, in the past in my life was probably the most fulfilling time for me. And I want to get back to that place where I can sort of set up an infrastructure that is helping, empowering kids, giving them tools, doing technical nerd stuff that I love doing with my free time. And then like, if I put these cases, you know, in 20 community centers and within the city of Toronto, now it's like, yeah, I got like 20 places to go on Sunday. Like, you know what I mean? I got like, 20 places to stop in and hang out and like check up on everyone and contribute and share information and inspire and create more art and create more positive energy. And so anyway, those are sort of like the goals behind that for me, you know, if it ends up being a legacy, like incredible. Uh, but definitely I want it to be sustainable. I don't want to like introduce something into community that then disappears very quickly. I want to have these things last and I suppose create legacy from that perspective. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, before I pass it down to the, the, the students, um, to you, what's the future of OVO sound? Do you hope to executive produce projects for other artists like you did for Drake? Do you have the, 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 the creative energy to do that? And if so, who have you not worked with that you'd like to work with in the, in the coming future? And you know, you have access to everybody, but who, who would it be that you would really like to work with? Yeah, it's, that's, that's a tough question. Like I really worked with, with all the <laughs> dreams of mine came true. Already. You did the bucket list, bro. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, Aaliyah and Sade off the top is like that, that was the bucket list and it wasn't even a fathomable or practical one and I achieved it. So 
I, I can't even disrespect my original legacy bucket list by creating a new one. You know, it's like I somehow, some way achieved that. And, you know, with what Drake has accomplished and the access I have to him as a rapper, you know, Oh, you got muted. You. Sorry, yeah, you muted. Um, you know, with all the people that I've had the ability to work with, you know, and because of I have access to Drake and he's my partner in music, it's almost what I always tell people is if I were to make a song for so and so, that's that's good enough for that other legend, whoever it may be, mm. then I probably should have given it to Drake. Mm. Like that's sort of my position, you know, is like, if I'm going to work that hard on something, if I was just throwing stuff away, cool, I'll throw it to whoever, but I just, I really focus only on working with him. Um, so, I mean, I, uh, to be honest, I guess to answer that question in a very narcissistic way, uh, I kind of maybe want to do my own album at some point would be okay. the next thing for me. Okay. Um, and that's not narcissistic that's, at all. We need that. <laughs> says narcy <laughs> uh, says the narcissist uh, uh, the la the last joint that really blew my mind that you did was the the champagne poetry joint where you know it's the, the when you look at the credits on that song um you know it's masego it's you it's oliver and there, there's somebody else credited on it uh, uh, uh what's manish manish um you know, and that's like, you know, I got more slaps than the Beatles. The Beatles are on that joint in a way. So how does the process of a song like that happen? Because that the ending of that song, the last like 30 seconds is is one of my favorite works of yours because it, it really shows like your uh, de your deconstructive style that you have with your work. You, you've created the style of music that allows the artist to shine through, but you maintain the sonics of your music in a very unique you way. Know, you want to know a story? I'll tell you a story. I never told no one this story. one. Please. Um, so Oliver, I think, came with the idea of like the Masego piece because, you know, it, it was out and around and um, brought that to the table to flip, right? And into that first piece that I love you, I love you, I love you, right? Um, then that was that. Drake did his thing on it. Then Manish had done a piece of music, which was the second part. Right? So Manish had made that music and given it to Drake, and Drake had recorded some stuff on that. And then the boy called me over to his house at one point. I feel like it was one of the first times I'd gone over there since COVID. I, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I remember like wearing a mask and sitting like on the other side of the room in the very beginning. And just to talk about like how we were going to like, you know, move forward and what we're going to do and yada, yada. And he was like, do I really like these two songs? Like if they could go together and like be a sick intro. And I was like, okay. Mm. So then I took the two songs and figured out how to like put them together and like get them sounding in the same key and all that and transitioning them and doing weird stuff and taking pieces from this one and putting it on this one and pieces from this one and putting it on that one and adding parts in the beginning of this one to fill it out and yada and then add then i made the whole beat for the end of it so the yeah. third section that i made that to close it um and that was it so that's how it happened that's but it was like a, a group effort right like everybody involved uh did a great job so classic joint classic joint yeah no, so we Thank you. You know, you stay, you stay elevating. We appreciate you in this game in Canada, worldwide. Uh, thank you, my brother. Thank you for coming and taking the time to be with us here, man. Oh, come on. It's the least, the least I can do. I love this. This is super fun for me. I told you that. <laughs>